Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. This morning, we're going to have a guest speaker. Well, not really a guest, but uh, Doug Galrick is going to be preaching the word for us this morning. Uh, Steve is on vacation. I just have a couple of announcements. Uh, for Sunday schoolers, you know who you are. You will be dismissed, and if, you do, if your parents didn't pass the memo along, I know that there's grade changes happening today, so some of you that were on the borderline are moving into a new class, and so you guys can go ahead and meet your teachers at the back and head on up for, for Sunday school. Also, fall activities are going to be here really soon. So I believe this Wednesday there is a leaders meeting for those who are helping with Awana, Wednesday night, what time is that, Mark? 6.30 here at church for leaders uh, that are helping with Awana. And uh, a reminder, too, that we will have uh, high school and junior high ministries starting again. That will be the, the first Wednesday after Labor Day. So first Wednesday after Labor Day, we'll have high school, middle school, Awana happening uh, here at Creekside. So with that, I'm going to invite Doug on up. We're going to be uh, discussing what we call the, the triumphal entry, and we're going to talk about why we call it the triumphal entry, what, the, what that signifies. Okay. So let's turn to Matthew 21, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds then went before him, and they followed him there, shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay. Uh, let's open up in, in prayer as we've read this word. Uh, dear Lord, uh, we just thank you for this morning that you've uh, provided for us to come and, and share in your word. Uh, to read uh, about your son, uh, the, the prophetic king. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit will be upon this, uh, this time before us and that we will uh, um, come into a, a state of worship um, and, and seeking knowledge about you. Uh, we just lift these up in the, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this is, it should be a, a pretty well-known story for everyone, okay, that Palm Sunday traditional message that we have here of Jesus riding in and, and uh, you know, people laying down the, the branches and, and putting down their, their cloaks. Okay. 
So what we're going to do is kind of dive into this a little bit and see the significance of this particular day. Okay? It isn't just happenstance of, of why Jesus came in um, to the city and to Jerusalem at this particular time. So first, let's, let's uh, take a look at where they were traveling. They were coming up from Bethany. Okay? I mean, you can see that uh, um, over here. On the, it's at the bottom of, of the hill or on the side of the slope of the Mount of Olives. And I, I always kind of like to kind of put a perspective on where they're traveling. Now, I've never been in this region before, so I don't have personal experience. Maybe some of you have. Um, I've talked to some friends who have traveled here. Um, this is a pretty hilly, you know, region. Um, and so they're going up from Bethany, up the Mount of Olives. Okay? That's what we're talking about, this region. Then he's going to go down the Kidron Valley and back up into Jerusalem. Okay? So this is the journey. It's about a two-mile journey. So distance-wise, it's not real long, but it, it is pretty significant as far as you know, the hills that they're going up and up and down. Okay? So I just kind of want to give that kind of perspective so you can kind of envision yourself, you know, on, on this journey um, with them. Okay. Now, Matthew talks about um, how this story of, of Jesus coming in on the donkey and how Jesus said, hey, go out and, and you will find this donkey tied with his colt. Okay? And, it, and it says... This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Okay? And, and that's kind of Matthew's theme here, is he's showing how Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament, of the scriptures that they knew well. Okay? And he's citing here Zechariah chapter 9, okay? verses 9 and 10. Okay? So we're going to read that. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Okay? So that's what the prophet Zechariah had written and that's what Matthew is quoting here. Okay? So he's referring back to scriptures that... that uh, uh, the people at this time would have recognized. They would have understood what uh, Zechariah was saying. Okay? And we'll see how this is going to come, um, come uh, to fruition here. So Jesus comes in on this donkey, and people are recognizing, hey, he's fulfilling the scriptures. Okay? Now Zechariah um, is talking about, he says, a donkey on a colt, on the foal of the beast of burden. Okay, he's describing one animal. Okay, the colt is a male animal. Philly would have been the female animal. Less than four years old. Okay, that's one description of it. And then he also says a foal. Okay, the baby, usually around a year old, 
or less that has not been ridden. It's unbroken. So we have an unbroken animal that, that Jesus is riding upon. Now I'm going to highlight some, um, some portions of this passage that again refer to the king. Okay? The descriptions of the king. Okay? Your king comes to you righteous. So we have a righteous king. Victorious. Okay? So we have a righteous, victorious king. Lowly riding on a donkey. We have a humble king. Now, what was the experience of the people of Jerusalem in their past, of the Jews, of their kings? Okay. They were not always righteous. Very few of them were righteous. Most of them were not all that victorious, and they certainly weren't all that humble. Okay. They had a pretty bad history of a lot of the kings um, in their past. Okay. But they were looking forward to one um, the one uh, king who was going to come and, and save them. Okay? He will proclaim peace to the, all the nations. Okay? So this is going to be a global king. Okay? So righteous, victorious, humble, and global king. Not just of the Jews, but of the whole world. Okay? That's what they were looking for. That was the anticipation of the people. Okay? Was to have this king. Remember, they were being subjected under the rule of Rome. Okay? And they've been praying and praying for the Savior to come. Okay? And so they were looking for this type of king. Okay? So we've got Jesus coming in on the donkey. And we've got to talk about the significance of that. Um, we're not, this is not going to be the focus of, uh, of my message here. But uh, we are going to address some of the, the issues of, of the donkey. Okay? So first off... Um, a king who rode in on a donkey, that meant peace. Okay? He was signifying, I come in peace. Okay? Didn't happen. If they rode in on a horse, that was for war. Okay? So there was significance in what the king rode in on. And so it was very meaningful that Jesus came in on this donkey, okay? signifying that he was coming bringing peace. We, we have example of, of uh, David, okay, when he anointed his, his son um, Solomon to be king, first thing he said was, bring him in on my donkey. Okay, ride him in as we anoint him king on, on a donkey. Okay, didn't bring him in on a horse, brought him in on a lowly, humble animal, signifying, signifying peace. Okay. So there's significance in that. Now, all four Gospels um, address uh, this, this story and in, in coming in on, on the donkey. Okay? Now, Matthew is the only one that talks about two animals. Okay? All the other three Gospels only mention one animal. Matthew, however, talks about two. And there are critics out there to say, oh, well, look, the Bible's not true. Because we've got these guys saying there's one animal and somebody else saying that there are two animals. So we can't trust anything out of the Bible, can we? Okay. What you have to look at is what is the purpose of the four authors telling their stories? What are, what are they emphasizing? Okay. And we do the same thing when we tell stories, right? 
we tell it one way and you're emphasizing one thing, and if you talk to another group, you might be emphasizing something else and tell the story a little bit different. Okay? And I'll give the example. I went to the state fair this, this week. I don't know how many of you went to the fair. Okay? What is an iconic Iowa State Fair food that you got to get? I mean, when you think about food, what, somebody yelled it out? Corn dogs, right? That's what you think about. So if I go and I tell you, oh, I went and I had a corn dog. Okay, I'm telling that story, depending on the group that I'm talking to. Does that mean that's the only thing that I had at the fair? Yeah, what, what's the odds of that, right? That I'm just going to have just a corn dog at the fair. Not really good, okay? But if my emphasis is to talk about the corn dog, that's what I'm going to say I had, okay? So the different authors, you know, Mark, Luke, and John, had different emphasis in their stories, and so it wasn't um, that critical. And we'll see others, there's other differences between how they tell their stories. So just because there's, there's variation between the, the different Gospels does not mean that suddenly we can't trust the Scriptures, okay? We have different men, different times. They wrote these, you know, Matthew wrote uh, his gospel somewhere around 85 AD, okay? Over 50 years after uh, these events took place, okay? And he had specific reasons why he was writing, okay? He chose to talk about uh, Zechariah's message. Not all the other authors wrote about that or emphasized. They were emphasizing other things, okay? So, because of the fact that we have two animals, okay, and the other authors don't have that, not something to be concerned about, we, we, we can easily um, account for that. And he's being consistent with what he sees in Zechariah when he's talking about the cult a full of a beast of burden, okay, so we have the cult and we have the mother there, the beast, okay. And so we, we want to be consistent with that. So Matthew mentions these prophecies. It's also consistent with earlier prophecies. If we go all the way back to Genesis, okay, I'm going to turn all the way back to Genesis 49. We see reference to this story as well. So this is the end of the the story of Genesis. This is near where Jacob is, is about to pass, and he's talking to his sons. He's gathered um, his son's here. Okay. And he's, he's going through and, dis, and addressing each one. And he gets to uh, his son Judah. Okay. And in Judah cha- uh, chapter 49, verse 10, okay, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So what's he talking about here? He's addressing Judah, but he's also addressing Judah's lineage. He's saying you will have a kingly line. Okay? David came from the line of Judah. Jesus comes from the line of Judah. He's talking about that, that scepter will not be uh, removed from your, your line. And it says, uh, 
until the tribute comes to him. Okay, another way of interpreting that is until um, Shiloh comes, which means until peace comes. Okay, so that kingly line will, come, will remain until peace comes. Yeah. When we talk about uh, he washed his garments in wine, that's a reference to the blood. Okay. And that's why when we, when we take communion here, we, the, the wine or the ju- grape juice is, is uh, symbolic of, of, of the blood. Okay. And his teeth whiter than milk is his purity. Okay. So we've got all the way back in Genesis this reference uh, to the kingly line that's going to culminate in Jesus. And we've got reference here uh, to the colt, to the donkey. Okay. So we've got that, that uh, um, full fulfillment here that Matthew is, is describing. Okay. Um, I want to address the, uh, the coming and taking of the donkey. Now some people, again, you do some reading on this, oh, is Jesus advocating stealing of donkeys? Okay. Well, no, we have a divine interaction going on here. And we don't know the whole backstory if this you know, animal was prearranged. It doesn't really seem like it. I think uh, that uh, God's influence was at work here. Um, but Jesus said, you're going to come up to this town, you're going to find these animals tied there. Um, come and untie them. And if someone comes and asks you, just say, the Lord is of need of it. Okay? Now, you've got to think about that situation. If this was you, if you were the owner... And you look out and hear someone trying to hotwire your donkey, you know, you, you, you're going to take, uh, you know, that, uh, that situation a little bit uh, um, in hand, I think. And, and, other, and Mark, he addresses it. He says that, uh, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? Okay. Uh, Luke actually calls them the owners. Okay. But it says, they told them what Jesus said which is the Lord has need of them, and they let them go. Okay? Now again, put yourself in that place. Someone's out stealing your car, and they say, well, the Lord has need of it. Are you going to say, oh, okay, just go ahead and please take my car? Okay? Unless you got the word from the Lord yourself, okay, you're probably not going to uh, go along with that idea. Okay? And so I think we have evidence here of God's working. Okay, that, that he put on this owner's heart that, yes, the Lord really is of need of these animals. Okay. Um, you know, an interesting thing about this as well is, is we're told that this is a foal that Jesus came in on, okay, an unbroken animal. Now, I'm not a horse person in any stretch of the imagination. The only thing I've ever done is at you know, summer camp where you go on the trail horses and, and those horses don't deviate from you know, that trail, no matter what you try to do to them. Um, I have no idea what an unbroken animal try, for me to try to ride one of those would be like, but what I have been told and read is that they don't take lightly to someone sitting on them for the first time. Okay? That's not something that uh, um, is easily done, but yet our Lord Jesus was able to ride in on this unbroken animal okay, peacefully. Again, just showing the divine nature um, of his workings here. 
So that's a little bit about the donkey. Again, I, I don't want to, I'm not stressing that, but it, it does fulfill the prophecies of, of uh, Jesus coming in and identifying the king. Okay? I do want to spend some time talking about the timing of this event. Okay? So we, we always refer to this, again, as Palm Sunday. Okay? The Sunday before um, his crucifixion. But in, in that day, and you know, in the Jewish world, this is just before Passover. Okay? So Passover is coming. Okay? And the Sunday before Passover is when the sacrificial lamb was to be identified. Okay? That particular day, they are called upon to identify that particular lamb that is going to um, be used for atonement. Okay? And we find that in the book of Exodus. Okay? And we're going to turn there in just a second. Exodus chapter 12. Okay? So while all the people are cheering and seeing Jesus riding in on this donkey and they're saying, Hosanna in the highest, okay, unbeknownst to them, they are selecting the sacrificial lamb. Okay? God knew this. God had selected his son to be the sacrificial lamb. But the people didn't realize that yet. Okay. So let's turn to, to uh, Exodus chapter 12, okay. verses 1 through 6. This is where they're getting the commandment uh, for this celebration period. Okay. And Jesus said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month, this month happens to be Nisan, or Nisan, however you want to pronounce it. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of the persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, okay? when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Okay? So this is the setting, Okay, God's commandment on what they should do, on how they set up and select this lamb and the timing for that. Okay? So the day for the selection of the lamb, again, was a Sunday before Passover, the day that Jesus rode in on the donkey. Okay? So we, we have the selection of the lamb. Okay? So this first month, Nisan, okay, um, recognize that, that Passover is always on Nisan 15, or 15 Nisan, how you want to uh, describe that. That is when there is a, the first spring full moon. Okay. And the lamb was slain on the eve prior, Nisan 14. Okay. And that's what we see described here in Exodus. Okay. It said on the 10th the day you selected, on the 14th day you will kill that lamb at twilight. So Nisan 10 is a Sunday prior 
when the lamb is selected. Okay? And again, for reference, we see John, when uh, he said the next day he saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John is already recognizing Jesus' position okay. as that lamb, as that sacrifice um, for all of us. So God's got perfect timing. Okay. So we know um, specifically in this year <coughs> when, the, when this occurs, we, we know it's on the 10th day that uh, Jesus rode in and this was the day that the, uh, the lamb was to be selected. He was also brought in as and identified as the king or the anointed one. Now we can see some other prophecies about uh, this same day and we're going to look in Daniel. So we're, we're Hopping a lot in the Old Testament. We're going we're gonna to jump to Daniel. Okay. Now, I, I do want to mention, when we're looking at prophecy, this is definitely open for interpretation. Okay. I'm not here to say this is the one way that you have to interpret uh, these verses. Okay. I'm giving you one um, interpretation here that I find to be very meaningful. And, and I, you know, I'm hoping that you will find this of, of meaning as well. But again, I'm not here to say this is the one true way that you interpret all, all prophecy. Because obviously people look at and read these, read these differently. Okay? So we're, we're in uh, Daniel chapter 9. This was written during Daniel's captivity around 538 B.C. Okay? Is he had... Uh, a vision of Gabriel, the angel, who came and spoke to him. And this is what, uh, what uh, Gabriel said. We're starting in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgressions, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and the prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with the squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is coming shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Yeah. So I'll end there. So what we've got here is, is uh, Daniel's vision from Gabriel talking about, um, first off he mentioned 70 weeks. <coughs> and then out of that he's saying 7 weeks and then 62 weeks. Okay, for, so he's mentioning 69 weeks here out of the 70. Okay, and I'll, I'll briefly mention the 70 here in a moment, but we'll, we're not going to dwell on that. We're going we're gonna to dwell on the, the 69 weeks, the 7 and the 62. Okay? And again, this is open for interpretation okay, on what this means, but a lot of people have studied this, 
And, you know, when we look at this, we're, we're going to single out a couple things, okay? So from the going forth of the word to rebuild, okay, so that's our starting point, okay? In this verse, it's saying from this particular point, when we have a decree to rebuild, okay, we're going to then have um, an anointed one identified. So from that point to the coming of the anointed one, there will be seven weeks and then 62 weeks. That's what we're going to focus on. And then after that period, the anointed one will be cut off. So, when we talk about weeks, when Daniel's mentioning weeks here, um, and this is part of the interpretation, what, what we're saying is that he's actually talking about a week of years. Okay? So instead of saying a week meaning seven days, a week is referring to seven years. And where do we get that from? Okay, that's coming back from Leviticus. Leviticus 25.8 says, You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. And I know you're saying, hey, I was told there was no math involved in church. Okay? Well, we are going to have a little math here. Okay? So this is where we're getting this concept of weeks of years. So when Daniel says a week, he's talking about seven years. Okay? So if he says seven weeks, he's referring to seven times seven years, or 49 years. Okay? The 62 weeks represents 434 years. Okay? So total, seven weeks plus 62 weeks is 69 weeks times 7 is 483 years. Okay? That's the time frame that we're interpreting what Daniel's saying. So he's saying from the time of the decree okay, to rebuild until the anointed one is 483 years. Okay? So we have a decree to rebuild. That's in the Bible. That's in the book of Nehemiah. Okay. We turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 2, 1 through 5. In the month of Nisan, remember we saw this month again, the twelfth year of the king Artaxerxes. So now we've got a specific time frame. Okay. We've got a month and we know the year based on the king's lineage. Okay. When wine was before him, he took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And when the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has been found favor in your sight, do you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I might rebuild it. Okay, so verses 1 through 5, he's asking for the, uh, the uh, temple in the Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Okay. And if we jump down to verse 8, okay, at the very end, it says, And the king granted me what I asked. 
for the good hand of my God was upon me. Okay? So we have the king giving the decree for rebuilding. Okay? So we have a start date. Okay? And this has been determined by many to be 445 B.C. Now again, there's some people that will speculate on that particular year, but we're going to use this number, 445 B.C. So roughly 90-some years after Daniel recorded his vision. Okay? We, we actually have the decree. So think about that. So you're sitting there going, predicting what's going to happen 90 years from now. Okay? How many are going to be really good about that? Okay? Coming down with your prediction. You'd probably be rich because you'd be able to do all the stock markets and everything else if you could predict that far in the future. But uh, most of us can't predict that far. We can't have a hard time what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Or even this afternoon. Okay? But Daniel predicted 90 years in advance that there was going to be this decree to rebuild. And here we have it. Okay? By um, 396 B.C., the temple was rebuilt, which happens to be 49 years or seven weeks after the decree. Okay, so there's our seven weeks. Now we're missing another um, 62 weeks. Okay, another 434 years. So if we jump ahead, 443 years, okay, what's occurring? Now we know Jesus, the time frame of of when Jesus was here on earth and when he died. And again, using the same calculations, it shows that Jesus was crucified in 32 AD. Okay? Now, 445 BC to 32 AD is 476 years. That's not 483. It's close. And we say, hey, we're, we're in the ballpark anyway. But God doesn't deal with in the ballpark, okay? does he? So we're off a little bit, and we've got to think about why that is. Okay? And I'll use an analogy for this. So 16 years ago, about this week, 16 years ago, I was uh, doing some work in Athens, Greece. And I'd called back to the office back here in the U.S., and I was complaining about how miserable it was. I said, it's 46 degrees. I said, it's just terrible. And they're like, 46 degrees in August? Well, that's pretty cold. And I'm like, no, it's 46 degrees, and I'm wearing a suit and tie. I'm, I'm sweltering, okay? 46 degrees in Celsius, centigrade, not Fahrenheit, okay? It was 115 degrees Fahrenheit, okay? So when we talk and use the word degrees, you have to be talking the same thing for it to be meaningful, right? The same thing here, when we're talking about years, Okay, we have to be talking the same context that Daniel was. Okay, we use what's call, called the Gregorian calendar. It's a solar-based calendar. The Hebrews use a lunar-based calendar. Okay, we have, in our calendar, we have 365.24 days per year okay, in a solar calendar. The lunar calendar had about... 360 days in that. So if you make the, the conversion, just like we do from Celsius to Fahrenheit, if we do the conversion from our calendar to the Hebrew calendar, how many years do you think it works out to be? It works out to be 
800 and, or excuse me, 483 years between the time of the decree, Hebrew years, from the decree to the time of Jesus' death. Okay? So we're spot on with the number of years. But we can even look at this at more detail. Okay? 483 years with 360 days per year equals 173,880 days. Okay? Now, if we count the number of days from the date of the decree in Nisan until Palm Sunday, the selecting of the Lamb in 32 AD, how many days do you think that is? It is 173,880 days. Okay. Jesus is the divine king, predicted. Okay. If we go back to Daniel's day, we're predicting almost 600 years in advance. Okay. We go back to Genesis, and we've got thousands of years in advance to this day when Jesus was going to uh, come in um, riding on the donkey, lowly, being identified as the king. Okay. To me, that has meaning. I, I get excited when I study these kind of things and, and read and, and work out uh, these types of uh, um, workings of God. Okay. Let's go back to Matthew. Okay. So we've, uh, we've got the entrance of, of, uh, of Jesus as predicted, as prophesied. Okay. And the people's reaction, it said, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut off branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Okay? And the crowds that went before him and were following were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus yeah. from Nazareth of Galilee. Yeah. So just looking back to how the crowd's reaction. Okay, the crowds knew of the prophecy of Zechariah. They knew the scriptures. Okay. They were looking for this king to come in. Now prior to this, okay, Jesus is accepting these, these accolades as he comes in. But if we look earlier in his, his ministry... How many times was he telling people, don't say anything, okay? Don't pass this on, be quiet about this, okay? Um, when he heals the man of leprosy, when he casts out the demons, when he was healing the blind, okay? He raised the little girl. He told the family, don't say anything. He told his disciples, okay, don't tell people who I am, okay? Until we get to this point, okay? Now, suddenly... We've got to change. It's the right timing for him to be identified as the Messiah. Okay? The previous times, the times were not right yet. Okay? Um, so just before he makes this entry, again, we've, read, we've been reading in, in Matthew, you know, he publicly raises Lazarus, and many people saw that, and that was what was starting to stir a lot of the crowds up because they saw this miracle happen. Okay, we, we saw last week as he healed two blind men. And in this case, these are two different blind men than what I mentioned earlier. They were shouting, 
Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Okay? And he didn't say, oh, be quiet. Who told him to be quiet? Okay? The leaders, the, the Pharisees, were saying, be quiet. Okay? And the people, the crowds, were, were saying, be quiet. Jesus didn't tell them to be quiet. Okay? He was accepting um, of this praise that they were putting on him. Okay? They were identifying, again, we heard Steve mention this last week, son of David. This is identifying him as both human and divine um, in this phrase. Okay? So at this point in his ministry, he's publicly saying who he is. Okay? Now, the multitudes gathered as Jesus rode in. Okay? Again, they had heard about the stories or seen the stories of Lazarus, and there was a fervor building up. Okay? They had seen his miracles. They knew of the prophecies. And they were desperate for a Savior. Okay? They, they were no longer wanting to be under Roman rule. Okay? They'd had histories of, of being controlled by one group or another. And they were looking for the Savior that was prophesied. Okay? And we have the whole city stirring up. Okay? And they, they throw their cloaks on the ground. Okay? We saw this in, in the Old Testament. Uh, um, one of the, uh, the, the kings, Jehu, was when he was anointed king in, in 2 Kings chapter 9. It says, I have anointed you king over Israel, and then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him um, on the top of the steps, and they blew their trumpets saying, Jehu is the king. So we have a history. Okay? We know what this signifies when you take your cloaks off and throw it on the ground. This is identifying someone as king. And so we see the people doing this. Okay? They're acknowledging his kingship. Okay? Um, they cut the palm branches. Okay? Now, now, Matthew doesn't specifically identify them as, as palm. Only in John do we specifically call them palm branches, but we've all kind of recognized, and that's why we call it Palm Sunday, okay? that we have these uh, palm leaves. Um, it's hard to find palm leaves in August, you know, that the... Uh, even plastic ones, but uh, um, you know, they, there was a history of of presenting palm leaves going back 400 BC. It was given to athletes. Okay, you win, you know, the the 440 meter. You get up on the stage and they give you a palm leaf and you bite it to see if it's real. You know, just like they do with the gold now. Um, so we have this history, and and it came into the Roman um, culture. And in the battlefield, when, when uh, a commander was victorious, when he rode in, they would present him with, with palm leaves. And those that were in the battle that were victorious, they'd actually wear clothes that had imprinted with palm leaves on it because it meant victory. Okay. So they were identifying the victorious king by putting down their clothes and spreading out uh, the palm leaves. Okay. Um, the palm also came to symbolize peace. Because after a victory in battle, what did you have? You would have peace. If they were truly victorious, then that would issue in, in peace. And so that's what the, the, uh, the palm leaves came to symbolize, and that's what the people were identifying um, with Jesus. So it, it uh, shadowed the laying down of all their weapons okay, and having that time of peace. 
So Jesus is accepting this, and he's hearing um, the Hosanna to the son of David. Okay? Hosanna means God saves. Okay? Um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna on the highest. Okay? Jesus wasn't coming in telling him, hey, quiet down, quiet down. Okay? And, and even in the book of John, the Pharisees were going, teacher, you know, tell your people to be silent. Okay? And he said, if I tell them to be silent, the rocks are going to scream out. Okay? So we have the situation where Jesus is fully accepting this role that he's being identified in. Okay? He's publicly announcing it and accepting that. Okay? Psalms 18, this is where we're getting this, uh, where, what Hosanna means. Psalm 118, 25 through 26. Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord. The save now is actually translated from the word Hosanna. Okay? Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay? So Jesus is that one coming in the name of the Lord. Yeah. He entered in Jerusalem and the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And you've got to think, what does it take to stir up a city like that? Uh, Jerusalem normally, I, you know, reading somewhere at that time was about thirty to 70,000 people okay? um, in, in this time period. But when we look at Passover, the cities would swell up five or six times. Okay? So we could be talking 250 to 300,000 people in this Jerusalem area that were being stirred up. And again, what does it take to stir up a city like that? Now, we've seen it negative things that can stir a city. We saw this last year. We saw cities being stirred up due to riots and, and you know, everything else that was going on last year. Um, we look in the news. We see what's going on in Kabul right now. We see a city stirred up. Okay? But what would stir a city up towards God? Okay? What, what would it take uh, for that to occur. Okay? One, you have to have people who are desperate for a Savior. Okay? People that really recognize and, and, and see their need for a Savior. And we have to have the movement of the Spirit of God okay? for this to occur. It's not going to just happen spontaneously. Uh, just like we aren't individually called to God spontaneously on our own, it takes God calling us. Okay? It would take a working of God. And he's asking us to be a part of that. You know, we would love to see a stirring of the city of Des Moines and the surrounding areas. Okay? Stirring towards him. Okay? With the spirit of God that we have for all believers that have in us, we want to see that, that movement occur. Okay? So in this story, we see prophetic that we have a king who is righteous. Okay? A victorious king. We have a humble king. A global king from sea to sea. Okay? A peaceful king. One who's coming in to bring peace to the whole world. Who has divine authority behind him. And is the savior. Okay? He is the sacrificial lamb for the atonement of all our sins. Okay? And this short little story fulfills that whole um, message and that prophecy of who, who Jesus is. And as we close here this morning, you know, if, if you're sitting here or you're listening online um, and you've not accepted Jesus as your king, as your savior, okay, I, 
I asked you to take a look at that. Look at what the scriptures are telling about him and how much has come true. Okay? And, and ask yourself, why am I not accepting him? Why not take that time now uh, to accept him as your king? Okay? And those of you that are believers, as you're reading through the scriptures, okay, take the time to delve into some of this, just to see you know, you, you think about, you know, people in your lives that have passed and you say, oh, I wish I'd spent more time learning about them, finding out more. You know, you find some stories, you know, I, I even, you know, my dad's been gone for a number of years now and I, I still hear stories now that, oh, I didn't know that about him. I wish I'd asked him about that. Okay. We have the time, you know, so take the time to learn about um, your, your spiritual father and, and uh, what he's telling us in, in his word here. In a moment, we're gonna we're gonna break bread and we're gonna we're gonna um, come together united as a body uh, before our King, before our heavenly King. Okay, and we're gonna commune together with Him in worship. Okay, and take this time to reflect on Him, uh, reflect on on you know your relationship with Him, okay, and and give Him the honor as King that He deserves. Okay, let's uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, the so many uh, intricate messages that you have in your word that spell out uh, what your plan is, going back thousands of years, predicting uh, in advance what you're going to be doing and how you're going to be doing it. And we just thank you for that. Uh, just help, thank you for opening our eyes into your word and your scripture and help us to fully recognize your kingship uh, over our lives and help us to uh, have that... Uh, that servant heart that serves the king. We just uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we now thank you for this, uh, this bread and cup as we, uh, we, we share in this remembrance of, of what you've done for us. Uh, in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.